Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Appleby, and today I've got Dr. Russell Thackeray with me. And Russell is an expert in resilience. So, hello, Russell. Hey, Kevin. Nice to be with you again. So, Russell, can you tell me a little bit about your background and what makes you an expert in resilience? Well, background-wise, I um, started my first career as a professional musician, went into sales and marketing, um, became a CEO of a large law firm, and then um, founded a pretty large training business in the UK. Sold that. Um, did one of those famous dot-com um, VC funding jobbies, which which was exciting at the when when dot-com was all the rage. Remember that? I'm sure you do. I do remember. Uh, that, yes. Yeah, those when were the I days. When I first started thinking about internet business, Russell. Exactly right. And so I did that, uh, and then a couple of two or three years ago, founded my um, own practice around organizational development and evaluation such like um i'm a business psychologist um a therapist hypnotherapist and my subject my specialism really has been burnout resilience um mental fortitude mental toughness for a long time so both sports people elite performers but also around business particularly around uh, entrepreneurs people yeah. who are running their own business um but also in large corporates as well so my my work has broadly been big corporates who buy large programs of either training or coaching or such like in this, in this subject area. But I also have a, a own individual therapy center as well. And, um, and that's been interesting, sort of flexing my muscles uh, and therapy skills into a different sort of market. So doing a lot more around anxiety and, um, and um, the full gamut of um, therapeutic sort of interventions, ranging from virtual reality therapy right through to um, traditional things like hypnotherapy. There's loads of rabbit holes we could dive down there. I'd love to talk to you about Russell, but uh, I think we'd better stay a little bit on point today. And the subject we're going to talk about is the the new CFO and how does he keep his resilience through all of those new challenges of his new role and all the different ways it stretches him. So, Russell, is Am I right in saying that that sort of thing is a real challenge to the, the new CFO's resilience? Yes, but but let's break it down a bit. So I'm guessing there are some new CFOs who are, are massively excited. They've been on a career arc. They've um, they've had mentoring to get them into the role. They've had some form of development. Um, it's been their aspiration to get into this sort of job. And they get into this role, either in their existing organization or in a new organization. And it goes one of two ways, isn't it? It's either brilliant and everything they dreamed and imagined, and it's actually fantastic, but they become massively overwhelmed, snowed under with work and such like. And the new sort of this idea of, you know, working at a different level, you know, sort of being part of the financial leadership team rather than just the person in the middle of the organization, you know, just sort of supplying services, as it were. Or it goes the other way, where you should, it's not what you hoped. You know, you arrive in an organisation, you've got an FD that's difficult, or um, you've got a, you're working with a senior leadership team and you haven't got those skills in place that you've, you sort of stumbled there because you thought that was where you wanted to be. And you've arrived in a place that's really different. You were happy in the middle of the organisation, just, you know, doing what was required. And so both of those sort of scenarios produce pressures or um, the opportunity to be overwhelmed. And, and, and the opportunity of actually having your skills and confidence dissipated. And, and really, it's about sort of focusing yourself in this 
and having sort of proper strategies that allow you to make sense of the role, how are you going to perform that role and how are you going to perform that role in the culture in which you operate? And, and it's, there's no doubt that, that people who want to get there were planned to get there, were on a creator, uh, I can never say that word, trajectory to get there, and have had mentoring to get them there. That's a really, really important thing because it helps you bridge that gap. People, and I'm sure you know this, Kevin, have been a CFO in your lifetime. It's a gap, isn't it? It's a step up. Yeah. It's an unusually large step up from being a head of a ledger, for example, or whatever it might be, to that's that that role. That's that first level of proper senior management, senior leadership. And there may be two or three people in front of you, you know, going up to the CEO, or there might only be one or two people. You're suddenly in the spotlight. And for some people, they've never dealt with that sort of exposure before. And that's something you have to be aware of. Yeah. And you're, you're sitting there, you, you've got to the top of the ladder, and you're suddenly there with other people in different um, yeah. functions that are also at the top of the ladder. Yeah, and yeah. you've suddenly got to be networking and making sense of what they do as well as what you do. You've got to be able to focus towards investors, to customers, to suppliers. You're not just running this big back office department anymore. And you're looking to become that co-pilot to the CEO as well. But yeah. Russell, you, you mentioned two different scenarios there. I wonder if we could just unpick each one of those in turn a little bit. And starting, starting with the first one, you're there and you're, you're pushed in all sorts of directions. You're, you're fine. You're, you're coping in a way. But now I've seen CFOs where suddenly their own personal development goes out the window. Their ability to take time off, to take time for themselves, goes out the window. Um, how do you cope with that sort of situation? Well, one of, one of the biggest challenges you have is um, learning to leave behind the job you did before. And uh, it's one of the biggest challenges, isn't it? We often find that the reason we got good, the reason we were promoted is, was because we were good at the job that we were doing before. Yeah. And I think, and I love what you've been talking to me about the gross CFO thing, which is to help you bridge that gap because that's key. So what tends to happen is someone moves into the new CFO role but they're still actually hanging on to some of the tedious stuff that they used to do, either because they have that sense of not wanting to let go or because they haven't put in place people that could do the job well enough, or because actually there's a lot of safety and security and comfort. So what happens is you arrive in the new role, you definitely want to do it, you're hanging on to the remnants of your role, role. maybe you're still you know, transitioning, bringing new people up. And like you say, suddenly you're hit with all these new things. Now, if you're going to be a modern CFO, what you've said is absolutely right. You're networking, you're representing the department, you're the outward face of the finance department. And the trouble is the outward face of the finance department is sometimes just the person that says no all the time. But a modern CFO is actually educating and skilling the, the rest of the organization in financial literacy, for example. A lot of people say in my back of the woods, you know, sales and marketing people, contracts people aren't so clear on those things. And so what you have to learn to do is to jettison the stuff that you've brought with you. And it's actually, you have to be pretty, you know, you have to learn your first lesson when you step up into a new role is to be ruthless about the way you handle the old job. And you have to think to yourself that it's, it's a very seductive thing to hang on to something that you used to be good at and used to enjoy. And now you're going to take on a load of things which you're not good at, which you're necessarily not being skilled up to do well and that you're dealing with for the first time. 
And so you have to grip yourself and actually say, do you know what? I've got to avoid the familiar here and throw myself into this area where actually I'm going to be not so good at it. And having a coach, having a good boss, having someone you can lean on these things is really important. So you can just sit down with someone once a week and say, this is what's working for me today. This is what's not working so well. And this is where I need pushing a bit more. And actually, these are blind spots. This is stuff I've never done before. And I might be doing brilliantly. I might be doing terribly. And I need someone who's that sounding board that allows me to ask for help. And you know what? There's a terrible thing in, in the world of business, isn't there? This macho thing where, you know, if you're doing a good job, you don't hear from your boss. And, you know, as long as you're not dying or, you know, sort of um, making horrendous compliance errors, you will just leave you alone to get on with it. And somehow it's a sign of weakness to ask for help ask 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 because that's how you get effective faster and that's what ultimately makes you a better boss yourself because don't forget as a cfo you're not just um doing the technical side of your job you're also managing people as well and that might be the biggest challenge of all that idea that you're going to have to suddenly have to take the needs of other people into account and as you become more senior you often find that your own personal development does get thrown to the side because you're sort of expected to know, well, hang on, you're the CFO now, you should know those things. That's what we hired you for. You know, you shouldn't need to be asking for help, but actually it's a sign of maturity to be able to say, look, these are the things which I still need to be, um, you know, developed on. Now, whether you get that internally or whether you get a grip of your own personal development and get that externally, it doesn't matter as long as you get it. And being humble enough to get development is one of the things that should make you a better technocrat a CFO, a CEO wingman, because that person needs it, and a better manager yourself. There's a, there's a thing in my world in leadership management there we say that the fish rots from the head. And you find that the people who are at the top of the organisations have the least personal development or the least well-developed and were developed, you know, often on MBA programmes or development courses, you know, with theories and models and ideas and concepts, which are 20, 25 years old. Business isn't like that anymore. You know, we're living in a new world where once a month, every every other month, we might be getting shut down. You know, there's you know your old ideas of Maslow and Cotter and 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 all those Morabian and all those guys. This doesn't work anymore. No, but all all those theories are yeah, the theories are okay, but you know, theories don't implement themselves. No, they're and not theories. Right. And the, but the point of theory is theory is meant to evolve, not be set into concrete. And, you know, an idea like um, like any sort of financial modelling tool, instrument or financial planning tool, they evolve, don't they? They take into yeah. account the cons, the cons, the, um, the, um, the environment, the operating tra- trading environment. You know, we have algorithms that, you know, handle share investment and share trading. They change, they evolve, they adapt. And management and, and development has to do that as well. We need our brains to be optimised, to be as plastic as possible so that when we get into a new role, we're open, we're like sponges, we can really sort of develop. And then we can start to deal with things which, by their very nature, the more we do them, we get more skilled at, we get quicker at them, we become more expert, we don't have to rework those things as often, and then slowly but slowly, you know, that overwhelm starts to contain itself. So dump the, dump the jettison the rubbish, ask for help where needed, focus on, you know, taking chunks of your job and actually getting proficient in them as fast as possible. Yeah, and this, the CFO role is so broad these days that yeah. you cannot possibly be expected to be good at everything. But I, I guess the problem, Russell, is that you have so many challenges 
that you're you're almost thrown into a world where you're you're constantly firefighting something. And how how would you go about finding the the bandwidth to do that development? It's fine saying that yes, you've got to do it. Yes, you've got to ask for help. But how would you personally go about breaking into that? Would you would you go for a mentor? Would you look for development courses? Well, the first thing to do before you do because that's the, that's just the tactic. The first thing you do, you've got to have the strategy of understanding that if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, you always get the same result. Yeah. And, and it's that simple thing about saying when you're hitting your head against the brick wall because you're just working it hard, hard and hitting your head against the wall, all you do is get a sore head. And sometimes you've got to step back from the wall and realise actually there was, there's an open window next door. So perspective is key here. What we have to recognise is when we're overwhelmed, when we have too much to do, standing back, understanding the perspective of what we're trying to achieve, understanding the context of what matters at the moment is really important. The only reason you know, we get lost in the detail is because we've lost sight of the main objective. All jobs have a rhythm, all jobs have a phasing, and all jobs have a sequence. And when you're new to a role, they're the things you don't really know. So you're doing things... Um, and it may be in a way that's too difficult, you know, it's too, it's out of sequence, out of phase. It's not, so, so what happens is that you're constantly being pushed in all directions because you're doing things out of their natural rhythm, out of their natural phasing. And so actually understanding what leads to what leads to what leads to what is a critical part of doing that. So you have to be disciplined in saying, I'm going to take time every single day out of my diary and step back and understand where the greatest ROI is from my time. You know, what is actually achieving the indiv- the actual objectives we're trying to do here? Here we've got an organisation that's trying to do a big change management piece. We're trying to turn around. We're trying to win three new commercial contracts. And we've got to do the year end and we might have a tax audit coming. You know, you sit down you, and sometimes you sit down with your, your, your boss and you sit down and say, you know, where are my key priorities this week? Where does my, it's like a bunch of shock troops, isn't it? You're focusing your team on where it needs to be done. So stage one, stand back, get the objective. And then step two is, in terms of personal development, you've got two things to look at. You've got the big picture things, which is where mentoring really works. You sit down once a week, once a month, once a quarter, whenever it might be, and you say, hey, this is where it's going. Where am I going? This is my career. These are some of the things that I'm getting right, getting wrong. This is influencing. And you're sort of getting an element of coaching there. And then sometimes you're going to specific courses because you're saying, I've got a problem around I mean, I'm going into your world here, so I'm going to say IR35 and as if that means anything anymore. But you know what I mean? You, there's a, an element of technical um, stuff that you need to know about. And the first challenge you're thinking to yourself is, why do I need to know this? I've got a team out there who need to know this more than I do. And so as you become more senior, what you're doing is you're, you're challenging yourself on the technical things you need to do rather than the generalist management things. And it's letting go of some of that technocrat stuff sometimes so you can do the bigger job because you can't do the big stuff when you're busy in the knitting, tiddling around with a spreadsheet instead of actually sitting down and saying to the CEO, actually, if you don't do this piece of commercial stuff here, then we don't have the cash flow to pay for the development to do the other things. So this phasing contextual stuff is really important in the job. And people don't understand that because you've never done it before, because you've always been part of the, the shock troops yourself. And it's that thing about when you stand, it's that Generals very rarely lead from the front, do they? They usually lead from the back, so they see the big picture. That's very and true. You become a C- yeah, and once you become a CFO, what you're doing is you're understanding that there is a big picture. And you might have sat in the middle of the organization with all, you know, like the old mushroom, you know, 
we all know what being a mushroom is in the middle of the organization. And, um, but now you're going to be part of that top team sort of looking over the parapet and seeing the bigger picture. And suddenly you should be saying to yourself, actually, that's interesting. Those things there, they're really, they're very time consuming and add so little value. Let's think of a way to innovate and just speed that up through to this is a massive priority and I don't know what I'm doing here. I need some immediate tactical help. I'm going to get it through an individual course or I'm going to get it through having an ongoing mentoring or coaching relationship with someone. But you've got to stand back to clear your head. You can't, you can't take those sorts of decisions when you're up to your, your, you know, up to your neck in alligators. Mm. I, I think for me personally, Russell, there was, at some point there was a big change in mindset. Um, one, of, one of the people that I admire or have admired an awful lot and took as a role model was, was my own father who's in practice as a chartered accountant to two partner firm in Newcastle. Uh, But at the same time, some of the advice my dad gave me just did not work in this space. And one thing that I remember and taking on board very much at the beginning of my career was the dad saying, never delegate something to somebody else that you can't do yourself. Absolutely. Now, once you get to CFO level, that is very bad device, bad yeah, advice right. because that takes you back to that, say, IR35 example. Well, actually, yeah. the CFO doesn't need to know all of the yep. ins and outs of the technicalities of that. One of his team probably does. And yeah, it's that that's a big, big change in mindset to get from the point that yeah. says, I don't have to be one step ahead of everybody else that works for me. I just need to know that the right people are doing the right things and doing it properly. And I think this is the this is the thing about people don't understand the leadership management aspect of the role, and and it's and it's and it's by the very you know nature of being in a technical you know work stream that you think that if you're the CFO you should be the best accountant, the best bookkeeper, the best ledger clock the best credit controller the best you know all of those jobs we shouldn't be you should be the best cfo which means you're going to have to be great at influencing networking um building great relationships and as you say you know part of your role is to go to the investors and the investors will investors will want you to have your you know finger on the pulse of the business and know the numbers and they'll want to to know that actually if they you know unpick your knowledge that you're going to have to to know those numbers well enough but learning those numbers is different to actually actually having the spreadsheets and doing them yourself. It's a different yeah. skill, and people don't understand that. There are people whose job it is to actually protect your back when you have a meeting with an investor, and you need to know that because you need to have the big picture and understand how the finances fit in with everything else. And actually, that this incentive scheme that's being run by the sales department at the moment, you know, the, it's the implication of that is really important, not just knowing how much it is, but the return on investment coming from that. It's knowing, it's knowing about statistics as much as it is knowing about finance. Anyone actually knows about finance. You know, that's not the jo- job of a, a good CFO. The CFO is about understanding how the finances work and liberate the organization to do what it needs to do and to take measured and appropriate risk as well. And if people aren't forecasting well and looking at risk management as part of that job, then actually you're possibly in the wrong job, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Now, what one thing, Russell, that a, a CFO has often got to get his head around, and is probably a completely new field for him, is the area of being the the man who's pushing change in the business. Yeah. Oh, well. How do you become 
That advocate of change is a very interesting question. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? And I mean, the first thing is you have to start with yourself, don't you? You've got to actually be ready to change yourself. And, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting psychology around change management, isn't there, that's around, based around this idea of confirmation bias, the idea that what we believe comes true. And uh, you know and I know that consultants have spent many years telling organisations how hard change management is. And strangely enough, it's really hard. Yeah. And of course, most external consultants are working really hard to make sure that it is, seems really hard. But actually, there are very simple shifts you can make yourself and the way you adapt yourself and the way you grow your own mindset and the way you begin to manage and lead people where people will look at you and go actually you've just affected change in your own area of operation and actually now you've earned the right to be able to come and talk to us about it and actually when you're working as a CFO that top team part of it is to understand the mindset of change and to be understand the not just the levers and processes of it but actually the physical might and psychology of change so as an organ you know so you're leading it you're living it and you're um, influencing other people and understanding that narrative and leadership and um, contextual message that goes around the communication piece of it is a vital part of that job and you really need to watch it in, in the finance world because you know, most areas have gone through this idea, even HR have gone through the idea of saying, you know, we should be business partners and add value to the organisation. I mean, you know, eventually someone's going to look at finance and go, you know, what are you guys for? Because actually you've been outsourced most of you or get a package in. And somehow the CFO has got to be that pivotal person where they're changing the idea of what finance means in the organisation. And they do it by doing it. Not about talking about what they might do, but actually by being that difference, by actually operating and working a different level. Now, if you don't know what to do, the simplest thing is to go and talk to someone who's already done it because they save you the time. You can really go on the go on the courses, you can read the books, but talking to somebody else who's done it and who's ahead of you, and they say, "Well, I did this, 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 and this," and then you know you can think, "Okay, well that wouldn't work in my organisation, but this would," and I'll take that bit, and then you plan it through, and you and you come back. And you are different. I mean, you know, what Joe Soap, the last guy who was the CFO who'd been doing the job for 83 years, you know, just coming in and being new and different is part of the new aspect of change. Understanding the digital world is critical. Understanding software, understanding hardware, IT, risk management, all those things, bringing that generalist thing in is really important. You're part of the change management process for the whole organization now not just for finance but prove you've got the right to be at that top table by changing finance first mm. and it is changing finance first i think i think yeah. that's very definitely it's own your own team yeah. so russell we we started off saying that there were two two scenarios to talk about we we started unpacking the first one i think we've got some way into unpacking the second one as well yeah but the uh, first scenario is okay I'm having difficulty because simply there is so much to do. Yeah. I've got no time for myself. Scenario number two is, oh, hang on a minute. I'm no longer in the comfort zone of this back office role. Suddenly I've got to do all of this different stuff. Change is one that we've mentioned. And I'm really, really now feeling out of my depth. I've bitten off way more than I can chew. Oh, shit. Should I have done this? How do we get that man back on track? Where does his resilience come from? Well, there's two things. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe you've overjumped. 
maybe you shouldn't be doing that job. Lots of people get end up in jobs because they think it was the right thing to do. Now, I am talking about the exception to the rule here, to be fair. Mm. But there are some people who get into a job and they drown, they burn out, they have nervous breakdowns because they shouldn't be doing that job. They've been over-promoted. It used to be called the Peter Principle. You're promoted yep. to your point of incompetence. And I think that does happen from time to time. So one of the things I think you've got to think a lot because it does. There's, yeah. there's no real reason because you are excelling and overperforming at the last job. Yeah. That you should suddenly excel and overperform at the next one when yeah. you're being asked to do completely different things. And so one of the things your organization has to say is it's a it's a um, it's a organizational failure if you promote someone to a CFO role and you don't give them the development to get there, but we rarely do. And it's the same when you become the marketing director or the head of R&D. You know, actually, R&D is a slightly different thing. Because, but, but you know, what, even most of those jobs, we, we take people because they're good at one, one rung lower. And we don't give them the support to really succeed. So if you're in that job and you're thinking, I shouldn't be doing it because I'm not up to it, there's no harm in saying, actually, I'm not up to this. And either stepping back down or probably more realistically saying, I need to put in a dedicated personal development plan there to get me here. And that personal development plan has to look at workload, technical acumen and people management things. And you have to understand where all the threats are coming from and take a, a considered view to what's going on there. And, and that's mindset, isn't it? You've got to fess up to yourself. You can't be going home and working like a 150-hour week, going home and then kicking the cat and being, you know, having a miserable existence with your wife or partner or whoever it might be, and then coming back to work because you will burn out. And I, it's a very interesting. It's a role that's very similar to uh, partner roles in, in the legal world, and they burn out very fast. Yeah. And they burn out mostly because they've arrived, they're underdeveloped, they're, and they, they imagine expectations from their bosses that literally aren't there. They, they think, for example, that they've forgotten that when, when you know, someone was a partner before that, they struggled as well. You know, when the FD was first in that job, they struggled. And they remember that. And they, sit, and they should be sitting down with you and saying, hey, I struggled in this role. So let me just think how I get you through that. But again, if you're not telling everyone and you're just doing the big jazz hands and hey, everything's great then, you know, you, you have a problem on your hand. You have to start thinking about asking for help. Now, sometimes a good HR director, I mean, there's an oxymoron, I know, but sometimes that can exist in a company and you can go and see that person and they can offer you help and support. Sometimes there's a head of talent management or something like that, or you go to an external force and build your own development plan. It's, it's, but the thing to remember is that Sometimes you have to grit our teeth at the beginning of any new job because we have to expect that there is this thing called the learning curve. Mm. We are going to be doing jobs which we are uh, we're less skilled at. They're going to take us longer and we're going to be following on the footsteps of someone broadly who's done it before in their own way. And they got a result. And what sometimes we do is we think we have to copy the way that someone did it before us to get the same result rather than thinking, actually, I can do this my way and get the same result. What matters is the result. What doesn't matter is how you get there. So there's two things. One is that you have to recognize you can innovate. You can do things differently to get the same result. Remember, you've been hired because there's so potential in you. That means there is always a 90-day grace period, always in every single job, where we say it takes 90 days to get anyone up to speed in the job, irrespective of the role. And, and, even, 
That's an gonna, interesting one, Russell. Because and I'm the, going to go back to our, you know, we, I know you and I both know of a podcast called the Hundred Days Podcast. And uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and what I was going to say there is actually, if we, if you look at our future CFO program in Grow CFO, Module yeah. Nine, the last module, is titled "Your First Hundred Days in Your yeah. New CFO Role." Absolutely right. Because of exactly that, 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 that problem stuff. So you you've got that first ninety or hundred day grace period. And that settling in period, how do you best use it? Yeah, and that's I, it. I think that's vital to doing the role. Yeah, and you can stand back. and We can throw yourself in doing all the stuff that you did previously, being indispensable and, and forgetting that actually no one expects you. In fact, that's the mark of the callow youth, isn't it? No one expects you to hit the ground running. What they do expect you to do is to take a measured view of what the challenges and opportunities are, to take a bit of a view. I mean, not forever. You're not going to be sort of swanning around, you know, um, you know, driving a white Bentley and, you know, having a couple of pet swans by your side as you waft around the organisation and say, hey, I'm the CFO. I'm just having a look around. No one's, and no, one's, no one's thinking that's going to happen. But people are expecting you to do some of the basic technocratic bits of the job. They're expecting you to do sign-offs. They're expecting you to be able to escalate issues which are going up and down. They're expecting you to start, you know, networking and understanding people and figuring out their, a power and influence grid and figuring out who your tricky people are, your, your admirers, supporters, all that sort of stuff. And then people are going to see that over the course of time, you're going to get from where you are to where you need to be. I always think it's a bit like Strictly. And um, those of you who like Strictly Come Dancing, I know, contentious idea for CFOs. But um, what people like on Strictly is this idea of the journey. People don't like people who arrive on first day and are brilliant at the job because actually, what, what are they showing to the people that went before? You know, mm. you know, it's interesting, isn't it? What people like to see is this progression and actually take the pressure off yourself and say, no one's expecting me to be an expert. In fact, what you say is, hey, I'm new to the job. I'm here to listen. And I bet you've got 20 great ideas that will help the finance function. You can sit back and people can tell you things and you can just absorb and, and you know, we used to say steal from the clever and sell to the rich as consultants, didn't we? And yeah. that's the idea. You get the best ideas from the organization saying, if only you finance guys, instead of always saying no, just said, well, look, yes, maybe. And then you can go, okay, well, I'll be different. I'll do that. You say, oh, we're drowning under all your 47 KPIs. Why do we have 47? Why can't we have just have 10 that really matter? And you can sit back and say, well, which 10 would really matter? And you go, okay, right, okay. And you can make yourself, you can make yourself effective by really listening both to your peers and you have to know that you have a new peer group but also knowing that you've come out of the organization you've probably got 10 ideas on how to improve things anyway so again being that agent of change and just making small incremental changes and figuring and I, out I sussing it out getting rid of all the crap out of your old you know shaking it out your feet getting your own number two worked out you know looking at your own structure is a really important thing isn't it moving yeah. the pieces around your own chessboard and think thinking i'm going to be if i'm going to have a, you know maybe four to five hours a week looking after the cfo this fd who's going to be my number two who's going to be my wing person the person who's going to keep me safe and you need to get that person identified and sorted out really really fast because they're going to be your bit they're going to have a vested interest in your success and we very rarely think about that, don't we? We're always thinking about how do we keep, keep, keep people down rather than thinking, how do I groom someone to make them really good? Because the better they are, the more they're going to push me up rather than I've got to keep everybody down doing this, these boring tasks. I mean, that's how you got promoted, isn't it? So, you know, you get promoted by making people around you better 
than the you were yourself. And that allows yeah. you to be the best form of yourself. Yeah. I, I guess that, you know, that, that first hundred days, as we say, is critical. But I guess, Russell, you've got two things that are, are really stopping you in that first hundred days. Number one that we've already touched on is your own thought that people are expecting much more of you than they actually are, which means that you try to deliver things that aren't expected. And I guess number two, nearly everybody new to a major leap like this, whether they admit to it or not, will suffer from imposter syndrome. Yeah, possibly. Mm. And And that's why it's actually great when you move companies because the best thing to do is move to a new role to become a CFO. And people say, oh, why would I do that? It's because, you know, when you when you joined the organization when you were 14 and you had your short trousers and everything and you're now the CFO, there are people in the organization who remember you from those times. Sometimes it's better to move organizations rather than to be promoted through them. It's better for you. Oh, and, and a big organization, you can, you can move divisions and the same sort of thing works because divisions and some organizations are bigger than small companies. Um but the imposter syndrome is, comes from a, just a lack of competence, doesn't it? So we all have imposter syndrome. It's an important thing for us to have. It's the thing that stops our arrogance running riot. This idea that, you know, am I good enough? Thank goodness we have that. And I think modern psychology has actually worked out that imposter, sign, sign, um, imposter syndrome is, is a useful thing to be having. Otherwise, we have all these little demagogues running around, strutting around finance, shouting, why finance are important and why we need more, you know, spreadsheets in the world. Ah, so that's, that's it. It's marketing that actually suffers from, that doesn't suffer from imposter syndrome. <laughs> if they're always running around telling the world they run the company. <laughs> well, that's, I, don't, I think you find these days you don't have to run around telling anybody that, but just know. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually the worst organization, which bit, it was our HR running around thinking they're running the company because that's when we're all in trouble, isn't it? That's definitely when we're all in trouble. <laughs> yeah, the only the only schemes that HR invent are the ones that keep themselves in a job, in my opinion. Yeah, right. But I think I think imposter syndrome. I think imposter syndrome is one of those modern things which have been slightly uh, invented. No, not invented. They've been slightly overplayed, and and we have to be careful not to buy into that narrative. Imposter syndrome is an important thing. Uh, there's a very interesting um, article about imposter syndrome. Seth Godin pulled together ages ago. This one of his podcasts has it on. And uh, he really talks about this idea that imposter syndrome is just risk management under a different term. And actually, once you've, you've got a mentor, once you've got some personal development, that all goes. But we all have to have a little bit of that. That's called humility. Mm. Perhaps that was what it used to be called years ago. Am I up to this? Yeah. Am I up to this makes you pause and think and get developed and take risks, measured, controlled, calibrated, and then you 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 figure out that you are capable, and then that's how you get competence and confidence. Isn't that part of development? It is. It is. And I, I'm I'm now thinking in around that idea of Seth Godin's that imposter syndrome is actually risk management. I, I guess Russell, there is something that says you you're taking this person, paying them an awful lot of money to do this role called CFO. No, and the reason is because you you need a brain that can, can think around whatever problem comes up for the organization. Mm. And a lot of those problems will be brand new. Therefore, there will be no easy answer out there on the block. So you, you are, you will naturally feel as though you're a bit of an imposter for, from, from the point of view that, well, you've never solved this before. You don't really know how to solve this, but 
yeah, it's brand new. So of course that's the case. What it is, is a new problems coming up with, for which there are a number of risks. How do you mitigate the risks is the better way to say, rather than how do you solve the problem? Exactly. And, you know, I, I actually coach an, an interim CFO, probably an interim FD is probably is a real role, but he's, you know, he, he has a coach. He has an external coach. He considers me part of his team. I, he pays me directly. So I'm like a sports coach or something. He's a CFO and uh, he goes into large organizations. He never talks to me about the technical elements of his job. He always talking to me about the personalities, the psychology, the relationship, the CEO, the, and getting to grips with things like marketing and customer problems and the business model itself. And he's made a speciality really about going into organizations and really adding value around change in the business model. And, and what he's done is he's, he, the first time he did it, he was all over the place. Second, third times, he's great. And now he's an, an absolute world expert at doing these things. So for me, imposter syndrome is just natural part of development. But what this guy does, I mean, he's paid a heck of a lot of money and he shows what a good CFO can do. He, he adds value over a short period of time. He's not a consultant. He's in an in interim. He goes in, adds huge amounts of value and he has a coach. And he has that humility that says, sometimes, you know, I don't hear from for ages. I get your text every now and then saying, I'm great. I'm earning so much money. I don't know what to do with it. And I'm thinking, well, I can always help you in that direction, but he never seems that. And then suddenly I'll get a call. He'll say, can I talk to you? And he'll sit down and say, these are my challenges at the moment. And they're always the same ones. And I think we as CFOs have to get that idea back of standing back, getting out of the, the, um, the trenches with the troops joining that group of generals on the battlefield, taking that wide look and saying, my job is how to be taken seriously by these people. And no one's really interested whether the spreadsheet's right or wrong. What they're interested in is what I say and how I say it. Because over the course of time, I've proved myself to be sage, sensible, rational, but also being able to influence people right across that organization and understanding that big wide picture because the CFO is the, the ultimate generalist with advantages that you don't get in other departments. And so I, you know, I've always said that professional development for CFOs is better than you get in, say, sales and marketing, because you don't get the whole business. You don't get the whole remit of business when you're in sales and marketing, especially in sales. You just really know what the product is and how to sell it. So it's, that's why it's hard to be a really good rounded business person in mm. sales but you get that in being, being a CFO. So learning to be a good corporate business person is really important. And bringing that sort of commercial savviness to, to bear is really important. Your job's not financing the numbers. Your job is being um, a, a strategic business partner. Yeah. And when it comes down to it, Russell, 99% of this is about mindset, shi mindset yeah. shift and getting that right. Yeah. Glad you re yeah. rephrased that. <laughs> all, all of business so we know each other too well <laughs> all of business is about it isn't it i mean you know you know without being able to play to our cognitive strengths we're we're all just gibbering wrecks aren't they and yeah. I'm, I'm i'm trying to stay away from the mindset world but it's about brain optimization just using every single one of us has a, a brain that's more powerful all the computers in the world joined up each individual has that but it's hard to tell sometimes isn't it when you're wandering around <laughs> yeah. an organization yeah. thinking what 
<laughs> so, Russell, that that's been a fantastic trip down the the area of the C, the new CFO and the resilience to do the job. And I think we've covered an awful lot there. So, Russell, thank you very much. Pleasure. I've enjoyed it. <laughs>